Okay, as we turn to God's word, we're uh, going to be picking up again in Second Kings. Uh, let's just bow our hearts and just commit this time of study to the Lord again. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and powerful. And Lord, once again, we just pray this morning that you speak to us, Lord, through these things. Father, although this was written a long time ago, Lord, and events that, Lord, are beyond uh, Lord, most of our daily thinking, Father, just so rooted in history. But Father, we pray that they would speak to us. Lord, your word reminds us that the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. And so, Father, this morning, help us to, to hear what you would have us hear, to see what you would have us see. So, Lord, may we just lay aside any preconceptions or, Lord, just unblock our ears, we ask. And speak to us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you turn to chapter 11, this is where we've got to in our journey through the book of Kings. We'll go straight into verse 1 of chapter 11, and we read there, And when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the seed royal. Okay, so just a little bit of a recap from our previous session a couple of weeks ago now. The situation is that Jehu has come to the throne in the northern kingdom. Uh, At the Lord's leading, the Lord had sent a prophet to him to speak, to tell him that he was to destroy the line of Ahab. And we see, obviously, Ahab married Jezebel. Their first son, Ahaziah, dies. Uh, and then Jehoram comes to the throne. Again, a wicked king. For 12 years, he's reigning, um, also known as Joram. Um, but Jehu comes and kills Jehoram, puts him to death. And then we saw last time as well how the 70 sons of Ahab, the descendants, whether they were physical sons, probably not, probably grandsons in the context, um, but they're also removed, put to death by Jehu. And by the elders of the land, the leaders of the land. At the same time, though, Jehu also kills Ahaziah. Now, this is the grandson of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, one of the few good kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, he has a son, confusingly, also called Jehoram. Don't get the two confused. Um, And also calls Joram, which doesn't really help, does it? Um, But he ends up marrying Athaliah. Athaliah is the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. And then they have this child, Ahaziah. And this is the one, Ahaziah, who Jehu also puts to death because Ahaziah, in a sense, throws his lot in with Jehoram. And because of that, he's killed as well. And that kind of leaves a bit of a vacuum on the throne of the southern kingdom. So Athaliah decides that she'd like the job very much indeed. So she puts to death all of the other seed, all of the other king's sons that are now living at this time. And she then reigns for six years. But we have a lady, a daughter of Jehoram, by the name of Yehoshiva. Now, interestingly enough, her name means Jehovah has sworn. And I think it's very interesting because if you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, you'll find that God made a promise to David that there would always be of his seed someone to sit upon the throne. And obviously, ultimately, that will conclude in the Messiah who for eternity will reign on the throne of David. And so this lady whose name means Jehovah has sworn is the one whom God uses now to take this young baby, just one years old at the time, by the name of Joash. And she takes and hides him from Athaliah. Every other descendant, every other one of the line has been cut off. And she takes and hides him. And that's what we'll see as we go on. Now, we'll come back to that in just a moment. But just to remind you, this isn't 
just a, a random event. This is something that we see throughout the history of the Old Testament. It starts back with Cain killing Abel. And it's not just that Cain himself was a bad person. Cain, of course, was deceived and led astray of the devil. You see, the devil knew because in Genesis 3.15, God had promised that a saviour would come of the seed of the woman. So the first thing Satan does is think, well, that must be Abel, so let's get rid of Abel, and I've won. Of course, Cain kills Abel, but then Adam and Eve, by God's grace, have another child. They have a child called Seth whose name means appointed. And he's the one through whom this line comes down. And we get up to the time of the flood, and we find that Satan, again, is trying to stop the possibility of the Messiah being born. And the, Satan and the fallen angels end up infecting the world genetically. We have these giant tribes of which so much mythology and folklore is told. If you look at most of Greek mythology, you can trace it back through to these things in Scripture. So many of those ideas are rooted in what took place prior to the flood and also afterwards. Then we get to the time of Abraham. And God makes it very clear that not just through uh, the, the world in general, but there's a particular nation that God is going to call. And he uses Abraham's family, his nation, the nation of Israel, as protection for this seed of the woman. And so Satan now has this absolute hatred for Israel. Because they are the one through whom the Messiah would come. And we see first of all with the situation with Ishmael and the persecution and so on. And many other attacks there with the famine in the land and uh, elsewhere. Of course we have another famine at the time of Jacob and his sons. Almost at the point of wiping the family out. Joseph is the one that realises that his trip down to Egypt wasn't just because his brothers didn't like him. It was because God had chosen to save much people alive. God had chosen and engineered the circumstances so that Jacob and the family and the seed, this line that would come down to the Messiah, would be spared. Satan every time attempting to destroy. And then in Exodus, we find uh, the Pharaoh, this is after Joseph has died and another Pharaoh comes, he didn't know Joseph, we're told, and he ends up trying to put to death all the male children. Why? Because he wanted to stop the line down to the Messiah. And then, of course, Pharaoh, after releasing the the Jews, finally, ends up setting in pursuit of them and wanting to kill them, wipe them out again. But God miraculously delivers them through the Red Sea. And then we see many times through the populating of Canaan, we're told in Genesis 6 of the, the Canaanites that dwelt in the land, and they were the ones that were trying desperately to destroy Israel. And a number of the battles that we see in Joshua, a lot of people look at these things and don't understand Why there's these battles in the Old Testament? It's because God was trying to preserve and make a way for the Messiah to come. And that's why God had chosen Israel. And that's why Satan was doing everything he could to stop that happening. If Israel could be destroyed, if this line could be wiped out. Well again, we get to 2 Samuel and we find that again we have these promises that God gives. But there's a number of then attacks against the line of David. Jehoram killed all his brothers. We'll see that if we move on into Second Chronicles, if the Lord wills. Um, we'll see that there. The Arabians slew all but Ahaziah. And then what we're looking at this morning, Athaliah kills all but Joash. You know, it got down to just one person. You know, sometimes the Lord strips away everything. And then we kind of start again, and there's that kind of fresh building. And we see that Joash, by and large, is a good king. 
We then find that the Assyrians come against Hezekiah, threatening to destroy him. Hezekiah couldn't have won that battle, but the Lord does. The Lord gives him victory. An incredible situation we read about in the book of Isaiah. Of course, Haman's attempts in the book of Esther to destroy all the Jews is just another attempt to destroy this line all the way down to the Messiah. And then even in the New Testament, when Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant, it would have been so easy for him just to put Mary away. She'd have probably been stoned. That was the whole point of why he was fearing. That's what Satan was trying to do there. But of course, an angel speaks to Joseph and calms his fears, gives him that peace that this is of the Lord. And then Herod's attempt to kill all the male children up to two years old. Once again, even though the Messiah has been born, if we can get rid of the Messiah, Satan would win. But once again, God tells Mary and Joseph to take Jesus down to Egypt, and then eventually they come back after Herod's death. But then, when Jesus is a a man at Nazareth, they bring him to the edge of Mount Precipice, and they're about to push him off. But miraculously, the Lord just walks through the midst of them. All these attempts by Satan, and these are just uh, some highlights. There's many more that you see if you go through Scripture. The storms on the sea. Ever thought about that? These were trained fishermen. They spent their life on the Sea of Galilee. And they're terrified of these storms. There was something supernatural going on on those occasions. And ultimately, the cross. And Satan thinks that he's finally done it. What a rude shock he got three days later. As Jesus rises from the dead. Having victory over sin and death and hell. And now makes a way for all who have put their trust in him. But of course... Satan's not finished. There's a great summary of all of this in Revelation 12. And it speaks of the hatred that Satan still still has for Israel. Because we're told that there will come a day that Israel, in the midst of their trouble, the time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation that's coming, they'll cry out to Jesus. And they'll realize that he is their Messiah. And Zechariah were told that they will look upon me whom they've pierced and mourn. And so, of course, Satan's aware that if Israel can be destroyed, they can't cry out. And it stops Jesus coming back and completing this work where he would sit on the throne of David. And so all of these attacks we see through the Old Testament. And this one, again, this morning we're looking at, is just another one where it gets right down to one person, one individual. And if Satan wins, then it's over. But you realize, again, just how incredible God's plan is. So just to recap in terms of historically where we are, going back from the beginning of the kings of Israel, Jeroboam was the one that comes to the throne after the division of the kingdom after King Solomon. And all these kings we've gone through now one by one, and we're now up to the point where Jehu is the king of the northern kingdom Israel, and we're told that his sons to the fourth generation will sit on the throne, which is exactly what happens. Down in the southern kingdom, we've got all the way down as far as here, we're looking now at Athaliah and then Joash, also sometimes referred to as Jehoash um, here. So for six years, she's as queen. And she knows nothing of this seed, this one that had been hidden from her. So let's pick up the text and we read in verse 2. But Jehoshaphat, this lady I mentioned, again, the, the Lord that has made the covenant and doesn't break his covenant, the Lord has sworn. But Jehoshaphat the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons, which were slain. And they hid him, even him and his nurse, 
in the bedchamber. Now, that's not implying a bedroom. It seems to be a place where they would store beds and mattresses and so on. So some sort of um, cupboard or storage place. And she hides him there, um, certainly until all the dust has settled. And she hides him from Athaliah so that he was not slain. And he was with her hid in the house of the Lord six years. And Athaliah did reign over the land. She has no idea that this heir to the throne exists. It's interesting we read, but Jehoshaphat. I love this because there's so many of these in scripture where we read, but this or but that. And praise God for those because if it hadn't have been for this one woman willing to be faithful to God, our, our, your and my salvation would have been in jeopardy. You see, God had chosen, his whole plan was to bring about a saviour through the line of David. We should be very grateful for the obedience of this one lady. You know, there's another great but in scripture in Ephesians 2 verse 4. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy and his great love where and he's loved us. And he goes on to talk about our salvation. You know, it speaks of the condition we were in. All was hopeless, all was lost, but God steps in. And here, we're in a similar situation. All effectively seemed hopeless, all seemed lost. You know, imagine what it was like for those in Israel that knew about the promises that had been given to David. And now they're there thinking, all the royal seed has been destroyed. It was a very bleak and dark time. But Jehoshaphat. You know, I wonder if she realized at the time how important her act of obedience was. And then we read, and the seventh year, Jehoiada. Now before we go on and read about the rest of this, I just want to tell you a little bit about this man, because this is just another one of those works of God's grace. Jehoiada, we find, was a Levite. He was a priest. And his life really is a testimony to God's grace and the change that comes as a result. If you remember back in Scripture, Levi was one of the sons of Jacob, and a curse was placed upon him because of the wickedness and this act of violence shown along with Simeon, his brother, in destroying the men of Shechem and killing them, brutally murdered them. And as a result of this, Jacob places a curse on him. And we find even at the end of the book of Genesis, this curse that speaks of him being scattered in Israel. And it looks like for the descendants of Levi, not a particularly bright future. But, we then find, in Exodus 32, Levi, the descendants of Levi, take a public stand for the Lord. The situation with the golden calf. Moses cries out and says, who is on the Lord's side? Well, the sons of Levi step forward. And they end up going and addressing the situation, and they end up killing some of their brethren who had got into idolatry and were unwilling to repent. As a result of that, the Lord chooses Levi to be the priestly tribe for the nation. What an incredible promotion from somebody who was once cursed and cast aside to suddenly be put into this position. And Jehoiada being a descendant. I mean, we just see, of again, God's grace here. You know, that may speak of your life, that your life was lost. Speak on account of the things you've done. You know, I read that account this morning of Matt Redman and the tragic upbringing 
the things that happen in his early life. But God's grace, such great grace. So we carry on, verse 4. And the seventh year Jehoiada sent and fetched the rulers over hundreds with the captains and the guard. And brought them into the house of the Lord and made a covenant with them and took an oath of them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. There is so much in this verse. This is wonderful. First of all, we've got rulers of hundreds, the captains of the guard. These aren't insignificant people. These are people who had authority in the land. And yet, for six years, they've done nothing. They've done absolutely nothing. They've sat by why Queen Athaliah, this wicked queen, is ruling. You see, it took the act of the one appointed by God, Jehoiada, the priest, to stir these men. You know, what about your life? You know, we often tend to think of ourselves as being insignificant and not being of any great importance. I wonder, as Jehoiada was growing up, whether he sensed that the Lord would use him in such an incredible way. But again, this act of obedience, he's aware of the king's son. He goes and brings these rulers over the hundreds. These clearly seem to be godly men. You know, if Jehoiada hadn't have acted though and stirred these men, the wickedness of the land would have just prevailed. This is kind of a challenge to us, isn't it? To be obedient to God. As we said before, all that is required for evil men to prosper is for good men to do nothing. Well, there was a number of good men that at this time that were doing nothing. And it just took this one man, Jehoiada the priest, to bring them all together. Again, the challenge. What has God called you to do? Well, then look at this. He goes and gets them, gathers them together. And says, okay. Everybody be quiet. I've got something to show you. All of a sudden, he brings out the king's son. Can you imagine the feeling, the emotion? For six years they thought the line of David had been cut off. The promise of the promised seed, the Messiah, gone. And suddenly the king's son is presented to them. I mean that may not stir you very much this morning. But I guarantee you those men were overwhelmed as they suddenly looked upon this genuine true heir to the throne. As they realise there is a way. You see, when all hopes, all hope seems lost, when it looked like wickedness had won, God's servant shows them the king's son. We're told in First Peter. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Jehoiada was a priest. You're a part of a royal priesthood. You've been given that same position. We're a holy nation, a peculiar people. And notice what we should do. Just like Jehoiada, who brought forth and showed them the king, that we should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For Israel at this time, they were in this very, very dark place and very dark time. And suddenly they realize the king is alive. Well, what great news we've got because our king is alive. And we can go and tell people that hope is not gone. There is a way. We don't have to tolerate and accept that wickedness is going to rule and reign. 
because the son of the king is alive. They thought he was dead, but he's alive. We're told that in time past we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. There was a time in which we'd not obtained mercy, but now we've obtained mercy. Again, what are we going to do with that which we've been given? Our job is to show forth the king, to present the king. And he commanded them saying, this is a thing that you shall do. Now, he's got a plan. This is the plan. A third part of you that enter in on the Sabbath... Now, it seems to be that we've got some people going on duty on the Sabbath and those who are, some of them will be going off duty. So a third of those that are entering in on the Sabbath shall, keep, shall even be keepers of the watch of the king's house. And a third part shall be at the gate of Sur and a third part at the gate behind the guard. So shall you keep the watch of the house that it be not broken down. Now, what seems to be going on here? And reading from Albert Barnes's commentary, he says, Five divisions of the guard under their five captains are distinguished here. Three of the five divisions, which we've just looked at, enter in on the Sabbath. The other two, which we'll look at in a moment, go forth on the Sabbath. So a third of those going on duty on the Sabbath were to keep watch on the palace. That's what they would have normally done. So nobody's going to suspect anything. They're going to come on duty. You know, they're going to go and they're going to guard the queen's palace as it is at this time. That's where Athaliah resided. But a third of them are also going to guard the gate that led through to the temple. There's evidently a, a pathway and a gate that connected the king's palace through to the temple. And of course that's where Joash is. So there's going to be some people there guarding. And then a third were to guard the other gate that led from the royal palace. Seemingly this is to block off any escape route. If Queen Athaliah would try to run when she hears what's going on. And then the second part, we read in two parts, of all of you that go forth on the Sabbath, even they shall keep the watch of the house of the Lord about the king. And you shall compass the king about, uh, around about every man with his weapon in his hand. And he that comes within the ranges, and nobody gets too close to you, let him be slain. And be you with the king as he goes out and as he comes in. So these are the royal bodyguard, effectively. This is the job they've been given. Albert Barnes again says the two companies whose proper business it would be to serve as the royal escort beyond the palace walls, he orders to enter the temple and surround the person of the young king. So thus the king was protected from any attack. And Athaliah would also be prevented from escape. And then we carry on and read in verse 9. And the captains over the hundreds did according to all things that Jehoiada the priest commanded. I just, just again, just think of this. Because of Jehoiada's faithfulness, what a stir starts to take place as other people see his faithfulness, as they go, yeah, we want to serve, we want to do that which is right. Because of the boldness of one man that's prepared to stand up. And they took every man, his men, and that were to come in on the Sabbath with them that should go out on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest and to the captains over the hundreds did the priest give King David spears and shields that were in the temple of the Lord. And the guard stood every man with his weapons in hand round about the king from the right corner of the temple to the left corner of the temple along by the altar and the temple. And he brought forth the king's son and put the crown upon him and gave him the testimony and they made him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, God save the king. I just want to highlight this bit. We're told that they gave him the testimony. But very easy to read over that and not understand what it's saying. So just a quick comment here. 
Albert Barnes makes a comment. He says, the testimony, i.e. the book of the law, which was kept in the Ark of the Covenant, this Jehoiada placed on the king's head at the moment of coronation, perhaps to indicate that the king was not to be above, but under the direction of the law of his country. You know, it's the same for us. We are not above God's word. We are subservient to God's word. God's word is the standard. It's not about our opinions. It's not about what we think or whatever. So many people in this world try to rewrite the laws and rules to suit themselves. It doesn't work that way. God has set the laws. God has set the rules. The king here then, right from an early age, realising that although he has authority, he is himself under the authority of God. God is his Lord, his boss, the one to whom he must submit. And when Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and the people, she came to the people into the temple of the Lord. So she leaves her house, the guard is there, she goes through the gates, the guards there obviously allow her through, and she gets to the temple. And when she looked, behold, the king stood by a pillar, as the manner was. Some of the commentaries suggest that as the king is there, effectively there had been like a, a throne that had been set up and some kind of uh, uh, regal paraphernalia all around, so that as she looks in, very quickly she'd realise what had happened here. And we're told it stood by the pillar as the manner was, and that's the part of the implication. And the princes and the trumpeters by the king and all the people of the land rejoiced. Isn't it great when we have godly leadership? How people can rejoice. And they blew with trumpets. And Athaliah rent her clothes and cried, Treason, treason! (laughs) Interesting you use that now, whereas six years before this, as you're killing all of the king's son, that wasn't really close to your heart or mind, was it? But Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of the hundreds and the officers of the host and said unto them, Have a fourth without the ranges, and him that follows her kill with the sword. In other words, if anybody's going to go with her or follow after her, join with her, let them be killed. For the priest has said, let her not be slain in the house of the Lord. And they laid hands on her and she went by the way by which the horses came into the king's house and there was she slain. So she's taken out, she's taken through the midst of the people and then she gets outside and she's killed. And then and Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord the king and the people. Three parties to this covenant. The Lord, the king and the people. That they should be the Lord's people. And that's what God had desired. You know, right from the Garden of Eden, that's what God has desired. That he would be our God and we would be his people. Now ultimately, and we read in Revelation, how wonderful it will be when that walk with God will really finally be restored. And all those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, those who have believed in Jesus We'll have that eternity with God as our Lord, as our Father, and we as his children. That's what God has wanted right from before the foundation of the world. But it took the death of his own son to make that possible. So this covenant is made again that they should be the Lord's people. Between the king also and the people and all the people of the land went into the house of Baal. Notice again how people are stirred now for the, for the things that are right. And remember where all this starts. It starts with just one lady who was willing to be obedient. 
who rescued the, the king's son. You know, we may think, again, our, our lives are insignificant. We may think we don't have a real great part of God's plan or purpose. As I read earlier from Chuck Smith, you know, we all have different parts to play within the body of Christ. We're not all the mouth. We're not all this, that, or the other. But God wants to see fruit in our lives. Wherever God has called us, whatever ministry or whatever gifts God has given us, God wants to use us. You know, we don't read anything else about this lady, Yehoshua. It's just this one little thing that she does. But how significant. And it may be that you don't feel you're significant. Well, I've got news for you. You are. Because if God has called you, if God has equipped you, in your entire life, there may be just one thing that the Lord asks of you. And if at that moment you're obedient, the impact for others can change their eternal destiny. It's as serious as that. You know, it's not easy being a Christian sometimes. There's lots of challenges that we face. And God does call us to walk obediently, to walk by faith, not by sight. The problem is so often we walk by sight, by the things that we can see, not by faith. But the good thing is that there's a great retirement plan it's out of this world. You know, God has so much awaiting us. And he just calls us now to be obedient. Not successful. I've said this before. Jeremiah wasn't successful. He was obedient. In all of Jeremiah's ministry, in all of his ministry, he didn't bring anybody to the Lord. Not that we know of. He didn't convert. He had one friend that stuck by him. But his faithfulness has been an encouragement to people throughout the ages. He was obedient. And that's what God asks of each of us. So again we find that on account of all these things all the people of the land went into the house of Baal and broke it down. His altars and his images break they in pieces thoroughly. And slew Matan the priest of Baal before the altars and the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. And he took the rulers over hundreds and the captains and the guard and all the people of the land and they brought down the king from the house of the Lord and came by the way of the gate of the guard to the king's house. And he sat on the throne of the kings. And all the people of the land rejoiced. And the city was quiet. And they slew Athaliah with a sword beside the king's house. Just to comment on what we've already seen. In Proverbs 29 verse 2 it says there, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Well, We've just seen the reverse of that. The wicked were bearing rule. The people seem to be mourning. But now we have a righteous king that's come to the throne. One who is under the authority of God's word. And then we're told, to conclude this chapter, seven years old was Joash when he began to reign. And we're just going to fly through the next chapter. Just a, Really a lot of it's just narrative. We'll just read. In the seventh year of Jehu, Joash began to reign. And forty years he reigned in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Ziba of Beersheba. And Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. What a lovely comment. After all of the things that we've seen, that he did right. But we are told he did right in the sight of the Lord all his days, wherein Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Now, we are going to find that when Jehoiada gets old and he dies at the age of 130, this faithful priest, 
that his son Zechariah comes to the throne. Also comes to the, the priesthood, takes on the priesthood from that point. And some of the men of the land, because the next verse, let me just read the next verse, but the high places were not taken away. And the people still sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places. You see, they didn't totally remove all the things that had led them astray. And the danger for us in our lives, if we don't totally get rid of the things that would lead us away from God, whatever kind of temptations it is that maybe God, by his grace, gives us victory over, if we don't totally get rid of those things, we'll find they'll come back. We're told that we should put to death the deeds of the flesh. And we really must. We should learn to die to self daily. We should learn to walk in his spirit. And the problem here is that some of the men of the land come eventually to the king after Jehoiada has died and they say, well, maybe we've got the high places, maybe we could just kind of do a bit of Baal worship again. And unfortunately Jehoiada consents. And they end up killing Zechariah, Jehoiada's son. Jesus actually refers to this in Luke 11. Jesus said, I will send them prophets and apostles and some of them they shall slay and persecute. The blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel, we mentioned him earlier, unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple. Verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. That word generation, just to clarify, it can mean a specific generation group period of time. But it also, uh, in the the, um, Greek that is used in the New Testament, speaks of a people group. Genos is the, the, the Greek word. It's a, a group of people. So it seems to be saying that it would be required of Israel. And that actually in the context makes a lot of sense. That God has required the blood of all these people that a nation has put to death. These godly men and women. He's requiring it of the nation. We see that being unfolded and many prophecies speak of that. But as a result here yeah, of Jehoiada passing off the scene... His son, as I say, becomes the next priest. But then Joash, not strong enough to reject these ungodly men that come to him. And then Zechariah, Jehoiada's son, is eventually killed. We'll see more of that, as I say, if we move on to Second Chronicles. We read on. And Joash said to the priest, All the money of the dedicated things that is brought into the house of the Lord, even the money of everyone that passes the account, the money that every man is set at, and all the money that comes into any man's heart to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priest take to them every man of his acquaintance, and let them repair the breaches of the house, whithersoever any breach shall be found. So people would bring free will offerings, and those offerings that were given were to be used to repair the damage and the problems they had within the house of the Lord, to repair it, to bring it back to the standard it once was. But it was so that... In the three and twentieth year of Jehosh, the Jehosh, this is the king, the, uh, the, the priests had not repaired the breaches of the house. Then King Jehosh called for Jehoiada the priest and other priests and said unto them, Why repair you not the breaches of the house? Now therefore receive no more money for your acquaintance or for the things that you want to do, but deliver it for the breaches of the house. It's very similar to the situation we find in the book of Haggai, where people were concerned and were dealing with their own houses and not concentrating on the house of the Lord. They spend their time committed to their own lives, their own things, not the things of God. 
And the priests consented to receive no more money of the people, neither to repair the breaches of the house. But Jehoiada the priest took a chest and bought a hole in the lid of it and set it beside the altar on the right side as one comes into the house of the Lord. And the priest that kept the door put the, uh, therein all the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. So all these offerings that people are bringing. And it was so that when they saw that there was much money in the chest, that the king's scribe and the high priest came up and they put up uh, in bags and told the money that was found in the house of the Lord. So they counted it all up. And they gave the money being told into the hands of them that did the work. And they had oversight of the house of the Lord and they laid it out to the carpenters, to the builders that wrought upon the house of the Lord. And to the masons and the hewers of stone and to buy timber and huge stone to repair the breaches of the house of the Lord and for all that was laid out for the house to repair it. Howbeit there were not made for the house of the Lord bowls of silver, uh, uh, snuffers, basins, trumpets, any vessels of gold or vessels of silver of the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. But they gave that to the workmen and repaired therewith the house of the Lord. So again, just saying that they were repairing everything to do with the temple itself, but they didn't make the things for uh, in the temple. Moreover, they reckoned not with the men into whose hand they delivered the money, to be bestowed on the workmen, for they dealt faithfully. So in other words, they didn't count how much money they were taking and using to do what they were doing, because these individuals were faithful. What a great comment. You know, for these individuals, it's recording God's word that they were faithful with what they'd been given. It's another little challenge, a lesson for us there. You know, whatever it is you've been given for building God's house, have you been faithful with it? It's interesting that Nobody was making notes or to keep an account of how much had been given. Only God knew, and they knew. You know what God has given you. Are you being faithful with that? The trespass money, the sin money, was not brought into the house of the Lord. It was the priests. That was the money that was given specifically for the offerings. Then Hazel, king of Syria, went up and fought against Garth and took it. And Hazel set his face to go up to Jerusalem. And Joash, king of Judah, took all the hallowed things that Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, his fathers, we saw them, saw them earlier, the kings that had ruled before him. Kings of Judah had dedicated and his own hallowed things and all the gold that was found in the treasures of the house of the Lord and in the king's house and sent it to Hazel, king of Syria, and he went away from Jerusalem. Just wonder, don't you, whether or not, if at that point he'd have put his trust in God, whether that outcome would have been very different. Because we see so many times how God had delivered both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom when their kings put their trust in God. You know, that's just a little lesson there for us to remind us that we can try and do it our way and we might get results. But you know, if we do it God's way, there'll be such greater blessing and we won't lose so much. And the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And his servants arose and made a conspiracy and slew Joash in the house of Milo, which goes down to Selah. For Jozakar, the son of Shimeath, and Jehoshaphat, the bad, the son of Shomar, you mispronounce, he's at home if you want to later. Um, his servants smote him and he died and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David. And Amaziah, his son, reigned in his stead. And that's where we'll pick it up next week as we see now Joash, this short bit of uh, history we were given there in the book of Kings. And now he dies, he's killed, sadly. And his son then will go on to be the next king and will reign for 29 years. And then we'll soon get on to 
Azariah, also named Uzziah. Uh, This is the one that we read of in the book of Isaiah. And so you'll start to recognize as we go through these following kings that many of the prophets that we know of in scripture prophesied in the days of these kings. So we'll see as we go on. Let's bow our hearts. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the lessons that are there for us. Father, we thank you that you have entrusted to us talents, gifts, for the building of your house. And Lord, others don't know the value or what it is you've given, but Lord, you know and we know. Father, may we use that which you've given for your glory. Lord, may we not bury those talents, but Lord, may we see that they're put to good use, that Lord, they're multiplied, that you will be glorified. Lord, everything that we have has come from you. Lord, it's of your own that we give you. Father, thank you also for the lives of these faithful people we've seen this morning, of Jehoshiba, this lady who was just obedient in one little thing. Lord, help us to have lives that are obedient to you. And Father of Jehoiada the priest, who showed forth the king's son. Lord, as a royal priesthood, may we show forth your son. The Lord, the world around us, the people we get to speak to, we get to meet, would see that it's not hopeless. That we don't have to settle for a world that is falling into darkness and despair. But there is hope, because the King is alive. Father, thank you for these lessons this morning from your word. Just impress them upon our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.